Good morning. My name is Damien Fayou. Uh, I worship um, on the west side, Trinity West Side, and I'm in the middle of a, a residency, a two-year residency at Trinity. Um, and I'm glad to be with you all. I was blessed to be with you guys uh, for a few Sundays in December, so it's been a little bit. The room or, or reoriented here. I, I, it's first time for all of us together, so that works out. We're in John chapter 12 this morning. And I don't know if you've ever picked up a book in the middle of a chapter or in the middle of the book. Or maybe if you're not a reader, I don't know if you've ever walked into your living room while your spouse or your sibling was in the middle of a show. And then you might have said something like, what is going on? Hoping for them to tell you like in a sentence, right, what's happening. And then all of a sudden you're caught in like a 15 explanation about the backstory of the mama and the cousin, right, and all these things that are happening in the story. And you're like... I just want to know about that thing that was happening right here. But the, the person, if maybe if you're the person explaining, you would say it's important, right? If, if you're that person, can you just tell me it's important, right? Because I know I, when, I get, when I get into deep into shows, when someone asks a question, I have to explain some things before we can really talk about what they're asking about. And I, and I think the same thing is true this morning in John 12. Because it starts with Jesus at Mary and Martha and Lazarus' house. And Lazarus was just raised from the dead. And, and if that doesn't strike you as something you need to back up for for a second and, and, and take into the context, then you're just missing it. You're just missing it completely. And so I, I just want to say a few things to set the scene. And we're in chapter 12, but in, in chapter 11, Lazarus died. Jesus gets the news. Mary and Martha, his sisters are weeping. They're crying. They're mourning. Jesus shows up and he weeps with them. They all experience this grief together. And then Jesus does call out to Lazarus from the grave and, and raise him from the dead, which is not the passage we're in today, so I'm not going to spend all the time there. You could ask John about, about that. But what we know is Lazarus is alive now. And because he was raised from the dead, many people believed. And all these people started to believe, but the chief priests and the Pharisees, they didn't, they didn't like Jesus, right? They were looking for him. They were trying to trap him. They were trying to arrest him and kill him. This is the climate that they're in. All of this is happening, and our story picks up six days before the Passover, Six days before um, Jesus becomes the Passover lamb, before Jesus becomes the sacrificial lamb for us. This is a, a heavy few weeks we're about to step into in the church as we head um, into Easter. But before we get there, we're six days before the Passover. Lazarus is alive. Jesus and Lazarus are at the table. We find Martha if you remember from the story earlier in the gospel with Jesus, Mary, and Martha, Martha is doing the same thing she was doing in the last story. She's serving. Lazarus is eating, and Mary is doing a similar thing that she was doing in the last story. She's at the feet of Jesus. And the last story said that she chose the good portion by sitting at Jesus' feet. And in this story, we find her anointing Jesus' feet. 
There's a couple things that are, that are going on in this story that, that, that are really extravagant for Mary. Not only is, are, are they hosting this, this party um, for Jesus' honor, but Mary is, 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 is taking it a step further. She gets down, and, and the first thing she does is she takes the role of what would normally be the servant in the house. She's the host. This is not her role. But she takes the role to sit at Jesus' feet and to anoint his feet. It, was, it would have been common practice for, um, when, when, for guests when they were coming over for dinner to take off their sandals and a servant would, would wash their feet. But she's not just washing his feet, she's anointing his feet. So first off, she takes the role that isn't the role that the, the, the host normally takes, but she humbles herself there. Then we find out that the oil that she's using, she's not washing his feet, she's anointing his feet, and the oil that she's using is really expensive. We find out from Judas, not from Mary, but from Judas later on, that this, that this perfume, this oil is worth a year's wages. Now, let me, let me just say this. Sometimes when we hear wages, we don't really hear what we're talking about. We're talking about a year's salary, okay? I want you to imagine a year's salary in a jar of perfume, I want you to imagine having that and knowing how much this thing is worth. I don't know about y'all, but like when I was a kid, I would get these toys that my parents, like my, I still have them somewhere in an attic somewhere. But there, there were these toys, these collectibles. I used to watch Dragon Ball Z. I don't know if there's any other fans out there. But these Dragon Ball, I remember they got these two of them, the main characters, and my parents gave them to me. And I, and I remember looking at them like this, the packaging was so good, you know, and like all of the things about it were amazing. And I remember as a child, not knowing anything about money, I was like, I have to save this. I was like, I can't take this out of the package. And my parents were like, what are you doing? Like, we got this. You better take this out of the package. Like, we got this for you to play with. And, and those things sat on my shelf until they sit in the attic. I mean, because they were so precious to me. Because I, I, I could tell the value. And now I want you to picture of the value of a year's salary and a perfume. And she, she takes this, this rare, this rare oil. It, it's funny, the, the Bible says that, um, let me see here. In verse 3, that Mary took about a pint of pure nard. And every time I read that, I thought it was butter. I was like, lard. I just kept hearing lard as, as, as I read it. But it, it's just this rare oil, and it's really expensive, and it's worth a year's salary, and she's at his feet. And all of these things are, seem to be out of the norm, extravagant. But, but not only is she on, her, on the floor, and not only is it rare and worth a year's wages, but she uses an excessive amount. She doesn't just use a bit of it. She doesn't just... You know, you've probably seen anointings happen at church, right? You put a little bit on your fingers and we, and we put it on your forehead. But she doesn't do that. She cracks open the thing and she pours the whole thing out on his feet. It's excessive. It's the type of thing that if, I, I was thinking about it. I was thinking about, what if I did that here? Like, can I break a glass full of like really expensive perfume? And, 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 but it just would have been a lot, you know? Like, y'all would have been sitting here just mad at me the whole time, just like not even listening to the words I had to say. Like, I can't believe he brought this perfume, man, like, you know. And some of y'all might have been allergic, and you would have been bothered by it. The, the Bible says at the end of, of Mary doing this, it says that the house was filled with the fragrance. The whole house. This is right in line in what's happening um, 
because she's not worried about just using a little bit. She's not worried about saving it. Um, there's a reason why she uses an excessive amount, and, I, and I'll put a pin in that for a second. There's another thing she does is that when she gets down there, not only does she anoint his feet, but then she lets down her hair and she wipes his feet with her hair. And again, I thought about it. You know, like I have, I have, I have decently long hair. I've been growing it out for a little bit. And I thought about taking it down and like maybe taking John's shoes off or something and, and, and beginning to anoint his feet with my hair. But I just thought like the, the oil would probably be like be on my shoulder a little bit, be distracting. Y'all would look at me and be like, hey, you got stuff on your shirt. And I just thought that I, logistically, even in the sermon, I thought it, it would probably be really annoying to have my hair. Now my hair is messed up. And I'm thinking about all of these things that are happening for me, just thinking about doing it as an example. And I wonder what it must have felt like for Mary. Not... Not because wiping someone's feet with your hair was like really spiritual and everyone would have applauded her. They would have looked at her like, what are you doing? As a Jewish woman to even let down your hair to do this, it's not even shame because her hair was her glory. But she takes it down and this vulnerable out of this vulnerable place and she wipes his feet for Jesus and all of this is extravagant but in, but when Jesus says this in verse 7 he says it was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial it makes sense of the excessive nature of, of, of the use when you were preparing a, a, a body for burial the point of using an excessive amount of, of oil was to cover the stench. It was so that you wouldn't smell the body, that you would smell the perfume. It's a way of honoring the body as it, as it passes into the next life. And so there's this thing happening as Mary is on the floor pouring out this oil, uses an excessive amount, and Jesus names it as she was saving this oil for the day of his burial. It is not lost on me that Lazarus was just raised from the dead. I think that's important context. Mary and Martha were just mourning. Jesus was just mourning. And now they sit in the presence of their alive brother and Jesus, who just told them that he was the resurrection and the life. And this is all cause for celebration. But Mary offers his burial oil to him, which I don't know about you, but along with it being beautiful, I think it's tragic. I think it's bringing Mary's turmoil right to the front of things. She is probably attuned and picking up on the, the, the cultural context, the, the social nature of things and how Jesus was being sought after. They were looking for him. They were looking for leads and where to find him and he's in her house and he just raised her brother from the dead, and at the same time, she's giving this oil that she's been saving for his burial now. I don't know if you hear it, but if, but if you had oil to save for a loved one of yours to use on their body, I don't think it would be a, just a simply joyous occasion to bring it out, Right? It would have been filled with fear and hesitation. Is Jesus dying too? 
Is Jesus leaving too? Is this the time for this burial oil? She offers, it's, 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 a, it's, it's a paradox that she's offering the resurrection and the life, his burial oil. But I believe in, in, as she offers it, I believe she's also offering her fear. She probably offered it with hesitation, but she offered it to Jesus because it was out of the place of vulnerability that he needed to meet her. It, it was not just that she had experienced the resurrection, but she had also experienced death. And I don't know about you guys, but I know that in this room, if we were to go seat by seat and line by line, we'd probably find stories of people who have felt like they've been resurrected to new life. And there's probably a lot of people here that have felt the stain of death. I know for me, grief has been a really difficult thing. Over the last two years, uh, started with my grandma, who was like a parent to me, uh, and I didn't know how to process his grief. Then my aunt and, and more family or people that we knew. And, and if you have experienced this type of grief and loss, I know that it's disorienting. It's weighty. It's hard to carry. Mary has been in that place for her brother. And now it seems like she's bringing this fear even to Jesus. For me, death has, has done something. It, it, I don't have like a super beautiful story about death, like how like all of it makes sense and I'm like really happy about it. But I, I will say that death has opened me up in ways that I didn't expect, that love for me has never felt more tender, that I've never cherished life more because I see the value in it. It's felt like death, like a, like a cracking open of my love in a way that hurts, right? But all of this is, is evidence of, of how real the love was that I felt for my loved ones, of how much love I had left for them. And I wonder if Mary, as she pours out his burial oil, if she's expressing some of that love that love that, that is also preparing for loss, the love that's, that's captive by fear, and yet she brings it before Jesus and offers a tragic gift, his burial oil, to anoint him and bless him, and yet I think this is also a gift for Mary for her to bring it. Judas interrupts us. He says, why, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor, it was worth a year's wages? The text goes out of its way to tell us that Judas does not have good intentions. He's the one who will betray Jesus. He's a thief. He's in charge of the disciples' money even and often steals from it. Judas is not concerned with the poor. And yet in his mouth are these words, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. If there's a question that I hear, by observing Judas in the story, it's asking us this. What areas 
in your life do your opinions and your cynicism get in the way of your vulnerability? I, what I hear is Mary bringing her vulnerability to Jesus. What I see is, is Mary, even in the midst of something that, has, that just days ago was looming over her head, death was something that was swallowing her whole, and yet she brings Jesus' burial oil to him. And in the same room, as Judas witnesses that, his opinions and his cynicism rise up. They flare up. I don't know about y'all, but my opinions and my cynicism has a tendency to flare up. Like, you can ask my wife. I have a really bad tendency in church to do that. Let me just confess to y'all really quick. Like, I'll, I'll be in church and, you know, uh, you work for a church a long time. You just talk about a lot of things. Like what happens in a service, like the transitions. So I'll, be, I'll visit a new church and I'm watching the transitions and I'm making all these comments to Daniela like, I can't believe they passed the mic like that. The mic was off. The mic, they put the mic down on the table. There was a mic stand. They could have put it up. They could have did that. Or, or, or maybe I'm, like, I'm thinking about what's happening during worship. I mean, I've been in some places, all right? I've, been, I've worshiped in some churches with some really well-meaning people, all right? But I've been in some places where uh, I, I, I love this guy. He used to play bass at a church I used to serve at. In the middle of Easter service, he's playing his bass, and he lifts up his bass upside down. On the back of his bass, he has written on a piece of paper, praise him. And I'm like, what is going on here? Like, what is actually happening, right? And, and, and in these moments where, where you're just experiencing these things, you're like, I have so many things to say right now, right? And, and maybe I should have said those things. But I think our, our opinions and our cynicism can easily get in the way of our vulnerable places. It's a lot easier to share my opinion than it is to share my vulnerability, right? It's a lot easy for me to operate in cynicism, to believe the worst, than it is for me to believe the best. And, and, and also what I know is when we're confronted with vulnerability, that's usually the moments where our opinions and our cynicism seems to rise up. It's, a, it's, a, it's what happens when we want to separate ourselves from getting close to, that, to those vulnerable places. And so when I see Judas, I, I hear this question, where do you, your opinions and your cynicism get in the way of your vulnerability? And lastly, here, we have these words from Jesus. In verse 7, he says to Judas, leave her alone. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will also have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. And first off, Jesus rebukes Judas by saying, leave her alone. I think this is important. Jesus does not stand for the slander of your worship, for the slander of your gifts. Jesus won't stand for it even um, by one of his disciples? How meaningful it would have been to be reassured by Jesus that your gift is more than acceptable, and I wonder how many of us would benefit from hearing Jesus tell us that our gifts are more than acceptable, that the gifts we have to offer from our vulnerable places are more than acceptable, and that even at the sound of your own voice, Slandering your gifts, I believe Jesus would tell you to leave her alone, to leave him alone. 
I think inside of us, we have Mary and Judas both. And I believe Jesus is there as well, ready to speak against the slander of who we truly are and the vulnerable places that we actually have to offer. But there's something else that I think that stands out just as much is Jesus' statement about the poor, which really isn't about the poor. It's about him. He's leaving. Time is of the essence. Today will not be the same as tomorrow. So when Jesus brings our attention to the finite nature of his time on earth, he's saying, I will not always be here. I think for us, the question is, what are what vulnerabilities are we carrying, not just in general, but like today? In, in, in this hearing right now. Because, I mean, I think for, as Christians, it, it's really easy to think, oh, one day I want to be like this. Or hopefully one day, like my Christianity, I hope it's, I hope it's like this. But, but I wonder if we could get really specific today. If, I wonder if there's fear in your marriage, if there's, if there's grief you're holding, if you have more time than you know what to do with, or you don't have enough of it, or you feel really lonely, or you're worried for your kids, or, you're, or you are a kid here who feels all of your limits. You see, Mary's gift is extravagant and it's expensive, but it's we can't miss that it's vulnerable. We can't miss that it's birthed from the place of her vulnerability. And I think that's where your gifts are. And I, that would be my encouragement. That would be my invitation is for you to offer gifts that are birthed from your vulnerability. To sit with that and wonder, um, what vulnerabilities are we carrying today? In our time, I've asked, um, I've kind of set up three questions for us. The first is, um, when, when I think of Mary, is, is just what, what is your vulnerability inviting you towards? The second is, where do your opinions and cynicism get in the way of that vulnerability? And then the last, lastly is a call for today. What are the vulnerabilities you're carrying today, specifically? You know, if you're still unconvinced that vulnerability is the pathway to, to find the true gift, I, I would encourage you to look at Jesus. Over these next few weeks, we're gonna continue to, to go into this Easter story. And I would tell you that if you were to look for Jesus' vulnerability, you will find incredible gifts there for us. The gift of his vulnerability in the garden, the gift of his vulnerability on the cross. I'm, one of my favorite sayings as Jesus is being tortured, is Jesus saying, forgive them for they know not what they do. And all, and, and all I hear the Father in heaven saying is, of course, of course, this is what we do. And, 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 and it's in that moment of Jesus naked, being tortured on a cross, not protecting himself, not asking angels from heaven to take him down, but it's his offer of vulnerability that I believe really gives us the gift of life. 
He offers his life out of vulnerability. And I believe there's a lot there for us. So as we approach Easter and we continue to be called to sit in the text, to sit in the story, I wanna ask you to imagine yourself there. The anticipation and the disappointment, the hope and the grief, the long dark night of death and the bright morning of resurrection, what we know to be true is that the story of Jesus is big enough to hold whatever it is that we're carrying. And the question is whether or not we will practice courage to bring our vulnerabilities to Jesus and be met by him, to be met by love. My prayer is that this would be a blessing unto God, an invitation for you of safety for the people of God. God is inviting all of our vulnerabilities forward and when we bring them, I believe he will receive our beautiful gifts, even if they're tragic, and he will tell us that they're more than acceptable. So God, would you meet us as we sit in silence for a minute? God, my ask is that we could sit here in front of you. Lord, would you, would you receive us like you received Mary? God, would you rebuke Judas's voice in us that slanders our gifts? God, would we know that it's in, it's in bringing these vulnerabilities forward that we find safety and security and we're met by you and we're met by love. God, you're good. And Lord, would you hold all of our tragedy, all of our fear, all of the places that we don't know what to do with. And Holy Spirit, would you help us offer whatever gifts we have from the places of vulnerability, Lord? Holy Spirit, would you speak to us? Yeah. It's in your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen.